0: Does anyone know what one of the fastest-growing sports in Norway is? Oh, my gosh, somebody said that first service, too. Oh, no, not pickleball, spikeball. Uh, But no, it's not, sorry. You do not win anything. (laughs) It is the adventure sport of wingsuit jumping. Yeah, you didn't know that, did you? (laughs) This is how one author describes it. It's the pastime of lunatics. (laughs) Or it's what warrior knights do in an age without dragons. It requires steel nerves, a cool head, maybe a touch of madness. You must be able to look fast approaching catastrophe straight in the face. Here's what you do. You ascend to the uppermost point of a fjord, walk to the edge, and well, jump. (laughs) The first hundred feet is a free fall heading a headlong rush straight down a granite wall. The wind pulls your cheeks to your ears. Gravity flips your stomach inside out and pulls it up into your throat. Is this starting to sound fun? You wear a parachute but the object of the sport is to put off using it as long as courage and necessity allow. Because simply you're wearing a wingsuit, which is this kind of jumper with webbing beneath the arms and between the legs, kind of like flying squirrels. You ever seen flying squirrels? Well, that's what we are, human flying squirrels when we wear these things. Not, I don't know why I'm saying we. Uh, the webbing becomes wings, sort of, and just before your body shatters on the rocks below, you uh, spread eagle and start to soar, sort of. Your rate of descent is feather-like, about 30 miles per hour, uh, which is about the same as a parachutist, but your rate of forward pr- propulsion propulsion uh, is bullet-like. You, they can get up to speeds of 100, 120 miles per hour going horizontal. You're basically a human cannonball <laughs> uh, rushing at dizzying speed toward a very hard landing. Now those who do this often get used to it and, and become daring and agile like trapeze artists who twirl in somersault and somersault in thin air. They will often try to get as close to the mountain flank as possible, almost as if to touch your hand along the side of the, of the mountain like people do when they're in the canoe and you kind of run your fingers along the, the, the glassy surface of a lake. But these aren't ordinary people. And to actually touch the mountain at that speed would actually shred your skin to bone. So thank you, no thank you. I will stick with the canoe. Who's with me on sticking with the canoe? (laughs) Well, a term that may convey the spirit of play, something we've been talking about for over a past month now or so, is the term adventure. I think adventure uh, involves things like uncertainty, risk, even danger. Uh, Words like daring, thrilling, exciting are all words that I would use to describe adventure. Adventures are inclusive of both the very highs as well as the very lows of life. We can literally be standing on top of the world one moment and then exhausted in pain, and experiencing great suffering the next. And sometimes those experiences go hand in hand. We can be elated and suffering at the same time. But we understand all of that is simply part of the adventure. It's what makes adventure stories so great and what makes adventures so formative for our journeys. As infants, we had adventures when we discovered our toes for the first time. When we experience gravity by dropping things off the height of our high chair. As children, we saw giants and wild beasts in our backyards, right? We dug caves, we turned sticks to swords, and we changed our driveways into the playground for evil Knievel. As teenagers, navigating our changing bodies and changing minds becomes an adventure in, unto itself. Curiosity compelled us to experiment in ways that made our parents really, really nervous. Uh, We took chances and sometimes ended up with broken bones or broken hearts. But I think most of us wouldn't trade those memories for the world. Part of our nostalgia and delight in these early years, though, I think reminds us, especially those of us who are now adults, that, you know, we can go years without really feeling like we're experiencing adventure anymore? I mean, sure, we might play a sport, we might go camping, might even take a risk and buy a new brand of coffee that's on sale. If that's our biggest risk, I don't know what to say. But what if, what if all of life was seen as a kind of adventure? And what if, in particular, our faith journey, our spiritual journey, our life in the spirit was experienced as a kind of adventure, what difference would that make? Well, as we continue our series entitled Invitation to Play, where we've been exploring the ways that play is in fact an important part of the Christian life, I want us to take a look at how adventure, I believe, helps us to take risks, gives us a much needed perspective, as well as it's really good at nurturing our spiritual growth. You ready? Well, Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this space that we uh, have intentionally uh, created to experience uh, your presence and to experience your work within our lives. We now say, come Holy Spirit, and as we read the scripture, I pray that you would, uh, by your grace, work in our hearts and minds, forming us into the image of your Son, Jesus Uh, Give us the grace to surrender to your work right now, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the text that we're going to be primarily working with this morning is uh, found in Acts chapter 16. Now, for those of you who aren't too familiar with the various books of the Bible, Acts is a continuation of Luke's gospel, a kind of sequel, if you will. It tells the story of how the presence of Christ continued to bring freedom and healing Uh, into the world through spirit-empowered disciples. And this particular account tells a a crazy story of an adventure that the Apostle Paul and his missionary partner Silas have in the Roman colony of Philippi. So we're going to start reading in verse 16 of chapter 16. So Acts 16, 16, if you want to follow along in your own Bibles. So Acts 16.16 starts off with Luke saying this, "'Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, "'we were met by a female slave who had a spirit "'by which she predicted the future. "'She earned a great deal of money for her owners "'by fortune-telling. "'She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, "'These men are servants of the Most High God "'who are telling you the way to be saved.'" I want you to picture this. Paul and Silas uh, have been going to the place of prayer, wherever that place is. It's unnamed, but they've been going to the place of prayer, and as they're going, they are met by a slave girl who's possessed by a spirit uh, that then compels her to begin shouting at them. In addition, we're told that her owners exploit her her spiritual bondage by using her ability to predict the future as a way to earn them a whole lot of money. Now, I don't know about you, but this kind of setup appears to me like the perfect um, place, a perfect opportunity for what John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard, called power evangelism. You have a woman who is, first of all, being demonized by an evil spirit who desperately needs freedom, needs deliverance. But secondly, you also have this unjust exploitation of another human being. She's owned by these slave owners, and they're using her to make money. So surely Paul and Silas, two great men of God whose lives are steeped in prayer and filled with the Holy Spirit, would see this as an opportunity to show the love of God and bring freedom to this woman. Like Jesus, they would be moved by compassion as we read over and over in the Gospels. Jesus was moved by compassion to act on her behalf. That's what I would expect to read in the following verse, but this is instead what we read. Verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, just cry out loud, I command you, come out of her. My crying out loud was I added that. And at that moment, the spirit left her. What? I don't know about you, but when I read this, it, it, it kind of takes me aback a little bit. I mean, Luke says that, that this woman, this slave girl, kept this up for many days, which implies that they went to this place of prayer each day, and each day they encountered her, and each day they walked right by her. They ignored her. Maybe they were even like, oh, here's that woman again. Quick, get to the place of prayer. It doesn't say anything about them looking upon her with compassion. And then Luke says that Paul finally acts, but not out of compassion, not out of a sense of justice, but rather he's annoyed. She finally gets on his nerves, and you get the impression that he prays for her so that she'll just be quiet. What's going on here? Well, after decades of doing ministry, I have met countless Christians who are so determined to do God's will that there's, there's always this lingering fear that they're getting things wrong. I think there's this false narrative out there that God has everything predetermined for us, and our job is to diligently figure out what that is and make sure we don't miss out on God's perfect plan. I know I, I lived like this for years, always second-guessing my decisions, wondering if I had made the right one. Did I miss God's cues somewhere? Am I listening enough to the Spirit to ensure that I'm on the right path? And if I'm not on the right path, will, how will I know if I ever get on the right path again? Or will God get tired of my wandering soul and just pick someone else who's much better at this than me? And then I read a story like this and I think to myself, okay, okay. Maybe things are a bit messier than we first thought. Maybe things are not as well laid out as we were led to believe. Maybe God gives us some freedom and space to experiment and to fail and to learn and to take chances and to risk a little. Maybe, just maybe, if we approach faith less like a textbook that has all the correct answers in the back, and instead we approach faith more like an adventure novel with all of its surprising twists and turns and and possible various endings, we would not only have a lot more fun, but we'd probably end up doing things that we could never dream of. But we love certainty, don't we? We love certainty. And I think a lot of times we see failure as being unfaithful we equate failure with unfaithfulness so we avoid anything that might cause us to fail also we don't like to be surprised in our culture we only want what we've carefully planned so we arrange our lives accordingly eliminating as much chance as possible but here's the thing certainty is not faith I think we miss we confuse the two but certainty is is not faith in fact if we had certainty we wouldn't need faith exactly and when i read this i don't see paul acting with predetermined purpose rather he re- he he reacts as a result of irritation and you know what god responds anyways it's like playing a good game you know in most games There are countless moves that one can make. Some moves might be better than others, for sure, don't get me wrong, but we could make any one of them and still be in the game, still maybe even advance in the game. Sometimes we make moves logically, we think through all the various possibilities, we weigh them out and decide this is the best possible logical way, so we choose that one. Other times, we seek the wise counsel of other people, maybe even other players. Should I make this move? Should I make this move? What do you think? And then we respond to their wise counsel, and we make our choice appropriately. Sometimes we go out on, on a limb and just trust our gut. We just, this, this move just feels right. And sometimes, yes, sometimes, another player simply gets on our nerves or starts talking smack, and so we react to Uh, we, We make our move out of reaction to them, whether it was wise or not. And I think Paul does the latter. He makes his move out of complete freedom. He's not worried about whether he's missing God's will or not. He gets annoyed. And so he prays for this woman, and God brings freedom. Paul acts in freedom, and yet God brings freedom. We mention this often here at the Vineyard, but John Wimber famously said, faith is spelled, what? R I S K. Now, obviously, we know that's not how faith is actually spelled, but he's making the point that faith requires risk. It's part of what makes faith an adventure. I don't believe that God is like a helicopter parent with a big stick who's just trying to make sure that we're always playing safe or playing it safe. Life is not an examination that we pass or fail, it's an adventure. And all great adventures include some risk. So maybe God is inviting us to not play it so safe all the time. Maybe he's inviting us to take some risks and see what happens. And speaking of what happens, let's see what happened to Paul and Silas. Verse 19 when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Verse 22 The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. They weren't playing it so safe, were they? (laughs) See, when Paul exercised the spirit that possessed that slave girl, he also exercised her owner's ability to make money, and that was not a good thing. I know a number of people who work in ministries that are fighting to end human trafficking, and there is often great danger in disrupting the economics of pimps and slave owners. Missionaries all over the world who are working in this field are told time and again, cease and desist or die. Pay the price. And yet they're out there doing that. Their work brings freedom to others, but it carries with it a lot of danger, a lot of risk. Could this be one of the reasons why Paul hesitated to do something in the first place? Why, for a number of days, him and Silas passed her by? They knew it, this disruption would cause a whole lot of problems for them. And, you know, we can easily idolize the people in the Bible, but they were just like you and I with the same fears and insecurities and worries that we have. And they make the same kinds of mistakes. So, out of self interest, possibly they didn't do anything. And yet, in the end, for whatever reason, whether it was irritation or whether maybe the Holy Spirit finally compelled Paul enough for him to act, but he acts and he prays for her. And she discovers freedom. She's set free, but in the process, that danger is realized. They are taken, they are stripped of their clothes, they are beaten with rods, and then they are put into prison. Not what they were uh, planning on, I expect, when they went to the place of prayer. But then again, most adventures include the unexpected, right? Good adventures, good stories have surprising twists and turns in their plots. The question is, though, how do we respond when the unexpected occurs? What is our reaction? Especially when the unexpected brings with it pain and suffering. In fact, a great question to ask ourselves, does the presence of pain and suffering make it difficult to live in this spirit of play that we've been talking about? Does it make the spirit of play even seem somewhat irreverent? Well, let's see how Paul and Silas responded in this situation. Verse 25. Luke writes, "...about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken." At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. And if they escaped, he would probably get killed. So I was like, I might as well do it myself. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Which is kind of weird. It's like they could have escaped, but they stayed. (laughs) And they could have let him kill himself, but they said don't. (laughs) Then the jailer called for lights, rushed in, felt trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let's put this in perspective here. They've been stripped of their clothing. They've been beaten severely. So you know they're in extreme pain They're bleeding. It's not like they got medical attention after they got beaten. They were just simply thrown probably into the the innermost cell where it's midnight, remember, so it's probably pitch black. They can't see anything. If you were here at the picnic, Paul or Pat used this, this story in part of what he was talking about prior to baptism. He had this creative retelling of it, and he had this, imagine, like rats scurrying across your feet and stuff like that, maybe starting to nibble on our wounds, whatever, I don't know. Um, But it's gross, it's bad, you're in pain. It's not a cool place to be, right? So put yourself in their stocks. (laughs) Your feet are in their stocks. What would your reaction be in this situation? What's going through your mind right now? What are you saying to your friend, Silas? I don't know about you, but I'm going to admit it. I would be complaining. Yeah, I'd be complaining and I'd be moaning in pain because I've been told I don't do pain very well. (laughs) I'm always complaining about my pain. So I'd be complaining, I'd be in pain, I'd be complaining about my pain, and I'd be wondering where the heck God was. I mean, giving that girl the gift of freedom came at the cost of losing ours. What the heck, God? Seriously, it's not cool. But here's the thing that we have to remember. There is freedom, and then there's freedom, right? Like, Paul and Silas are in a place where most of us would call, like, not freedom, (laughs) unfreedom. But they're acting extremely free. In fact, they're probably more free than most people who aren't in prison right now. At least in their interior world, their attitude, their their mindset is very free. In fact, they're singing. Now, we might assume that they're singing songs of lament, which, you know, the, the, the book of Psalms is filled with tons of psalms of lament, crying out to God for His help and deliverance. They could have been singing psalms of lament but it's just as likely that they were singing songs of joy and praise, praising God for this unexpected opportunity. What opportunity, you might ask? The one that this circumstance, as unwelcome as it might be, may have opened up for them and for others. Again, think about a good game that you're playing. Your opponent just made a move that you feel has destroyed your every chance of winning the game. And so you throw your hands up in the air, frustrated, oh no, crap. But upon further review, you see that their move, while it prevented you from making the move you had planned, opened up a whole new move that might even be better than the one you had planned before, or at least just as good, or one that keeps you at least in the game. Play. The spirit of play keeps us open to this kind of thing. Play, and in particular the spirit of adventure, allows us to see things differently. It grants us a different perception of reality that goes by a different set of rules. This is why Paul, when writing a letter to the church in Ephesus while in prison, Paul loved to be in prison, he was able to refer to himself in his letter as a prisoner of Christ. He's not a prisoner of Christ. And yet that designation is somehow true for him. It somehow puts a twist on reality. Huh, you think I'm a prisoner of the Roman Empire? No, I'm a prisoner of Christ. That's playful, I would argue. The freedom that Christ brings allows us to be playful, and the flip side of that is play illustrates this freedom to a world that often feels anything but free. When they see us able to approach life in agility, and and, and flexibility, and openness, and peace, and trust, it illustrates a kind of freedom that those people who we work with and live with, who are neighbors with, are sometimes just longing for that kind of freedom. The jailer clearly witnessed such incredible freedom that he was compelled to ask Paul and Silas how he get in on that same freedom. As one author put it, redemption is nothing other than the restoration of human freedom. I love that. Redemption is nothing other than the restoration of human freedom, the freedom to play and rejoice in the presence of God. Now, this doesn't mean that we avoid or deny our pain and suffering. Not at all see that's a misunderstanding of play you know play isn't just lighthearted and 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 results in laughter play includes especially play, an adventurous kind of play includes all sorts of the whole range of human emotion and so we don't avoid or deny pain and suffering but play and adventure does help transform our attitude towards such experiences allowing us to see them as opportunities for transformation, for real change. And that's the final thing I want to point out regarding understanding our journey as adventure. So Romans 5, 3 through 5, I want to quick uh, read to you the, from the message version of the Bible. And I love this passage partly because I think it fits really well with with. The passage in Acts 16, I can almost see Paul getting inspiration for writing this, thinking back about his experience uh, in that prison. But he writes this in Romans 5, 3 through 5. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. That's what he was doing in the prison with Paul and Silas. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left shortchanged. Quite the contrary, we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. See, good adventures often include struggle and challenge play sometimes consists of hard work difficult training and the pain that results as uh, that come as a result of difficult training and hard work obviously paul and silas's adventure in philippi resulted in challenge and struggle and pain but rather than see our various problems as merely tragic Play helps us see our problems in a more positive light as part of the process of being formed into the image of Christ. Take the example that Paul mentions in this passage the development of patience. Is it possible to learn patience without being kept waiting? Can you learn patience without ever being kept waiting? I don't think you can. One would never learn anything about patience if it was never needed, if everything happened on time, if no one procrastinated or made mistakes that led to to delays. Patience would not exist as it would not need to exist, and no one would have any need of growing in this area of life. So we think to ourselves, well, great, if everything was perfect like that, then who needs patience? But would that really be better? to not have the opportunity to develop character in that area of life, would life be better without patience? See, I think the irony is that perfect circumstances prevent the perfection of people. Perfect circumstances would prevent the perfection of people. Right? This is something that my family and I have had a lot of opportunity to practice this summer. Many of you know uh, that we've been on this adventure of selling and buying a house uh, since April. We've had two buyers on our house, one who l- lost their job the week we were supposed to close and another who walked after the inspection. We've had to arrange three separate extensions with the sellers of the house we're trying to buy. And just a couple of weeks ago, we came about this close to actually losing that house. We've been living with over half of our house packed up in our garage since June. And I've experienced a whole lot of stress due to... Uh, Ongoing uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen, so many things left out of our control. The various feelings that I've had to deal with have ranged from excited and hopeful and super jazzed on the one hand all the way to to scared and grieved and angry on the other end. But this ordeal has provided a great opportunity to grow in things like patience, the, 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 the grace to take risks, and, 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 and even the practice, the spiritual discipline of indifference, that is holding things lightly without getting too attached to a particular outcome. Can I hold things loosely without getting too attached? Can I be flexible? Can I pivot? Now, there have been times where we have thrown our hands up in the air out of frustration, wanting to simply quit, but approaching this situation playfully has allowed us to stay in the game. Sure, we might have made mistakes along the way, but this has forced us to learn to be flexible, make adjustments, and surrender what we can't control. See, the wise and experienced person knows that we develop character through hardship. It's just the way life works. And I don't think we'd have it any other way. Think about some of the people that you know who've been through some of the hardest Things you could never dream of going through, circumstances, heartache, pain. Often these are some of the most gentle, beautiful, kind, loving, patient people you will ever meet. And oftentimes they will say they 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 would do it all over again. It's hard for us to comprehend that. But for whatever reason, this is the way life works. We develop character through hardship. We learn patience by being kept waiting, joy by dealing with sadness, peace in the face of conflict, kindness from observing cruelty, generosity in the, face of, in the presence of poverty. In other words, spiritual growth often comes through struggle and challenge. Life by no means is an easy game to play, right? It's often difficult. But in the end, again, I don't think we'd have it any other way. And so maybe, just maybe, our growth requires us to take some risks, requires us setting off on an adventure with all the experiences that good adventures have, both good and bad. I believe that play is part of the process of becoming more like Jesus. In another letter, Paul writes, this is Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do we really believe that? That we are now free, free to risk, free to experiment. Yes, free to even fail. That doesn't that doesn't mean we're no longer part of the game. It, God's not going to abandon us. And so my prayer is that you all, that we all would experience the kind of freedom that would allow us to sing like Paul and Silas, even in the midst of unexpected circumstances. May we experience that kind of freedom. May you experience the kind of freedom that allows you to see opportunities for growth and change through and and in the midst of challenge and heartache and struggle. May you join with me on this adventure of faith, hope, and love. Amen? All right. Well, let me pray a prayer over us, just asking the Holy Spirit to come and start to bring some of that freedom. You might even want to hold your hands up in a, in a position of receptivity. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now to bring freedom, especially in the interior of our lives giving us freedom to respond to circumstances with a different set of eyes, a different perspective. I pray the spirit of adventure would captivate us as we journey with Jesus. And each day that we walk with you, I pray we would discover and experience more and more of that freedom that your spirit is bringing. And more than anything else, I pray that each one of us would find ourselves formed into the image of your Son, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. More freedom.